We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. Today we're here to break down the All-22 film of the Giants. Week 15 loss to the Cleveland Browns. We're going to break down the offense on tonight's show. And then obviously follow up by that, we will break down the defense. Thank you again to everyone who tunes into the podcast and who has made it what it is today. We've grown so much and that's in large part due to you. Last week was the defining moment I felt for our podcast because we reached five shows recorded in one week. I've never done that before. It was intense. It was fun. One of them was the, my favorite podcast I've ever done with OCU Manura. Obviously, things are different now than they were that week. The enthusiasm around this football team has rightfully dra- been drowned out, and I, as I think it should be. Um, I don't want to ever provide you guys with false enthusiasm, but we will go over this tape. It wasn't pretty in my mind. It wasn't as bad, though, as it could have been, and there's things to learn on both sides of the ball. There's a lot of players who are going to be a part of this roster playing key roles on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball next season and potentially beyond. So our goal for the rest of the season and in this podcast as well is is to break down those players, is to show you guys where they're at in their progression, and to kind of try to 
get a gauge for who the Giants can count on and who they can't count on moving forward. So Nick, before we do any of that, I wanted to give you a little shout out and find out how you're doing today. I saw you grinding tape on Twitter and obviously on Big Blue View with a lot of the content. This is one of those weeks where I'm actually happy I don't have my old job at Giants 24-7 Sports where I had to pump out seven articles a day and run a Facebook page and try to, you know, get the fan base motivated around this football team. But how are you doing this week? I wrote three, about 2,300-word articles about the New York Giants and the Baltimore Ravens today. So that's kind of how I'm doing. And I don't feel too optimistic about next week. I have to say, though, Dan, I believe you made a mistake in the opening intro, your your great opening monologues that everyone loves. We did do five straight shows in a week once during draft season. I think we had oh. like eight in a row or something crazy. That is a good point. Yes. You're 100% right. I'm now remembering. I'm trying to remember back. We had... It was like eight and seven days. Yeah, it was something ridiculous, and I'm actually excited to do that again because there's not many things I love more than draft season. Hopefully soon, we won't be talking about the Giants having a top 10 pick, but it seems like this year that could be a likely scenario. Yeah, I'm actually really happy you brought that up. I'm really excited. For those of you who are new to the show and joined us this season and didn't follow us during the draft coverage, I think this is not you know to run away and try to tout ourselves or, or or pat ourselves on the back but i think if you talk to anyone else on giant twitter or anyone who listened to our show last april last march they'd probably tell you our best content comes during draft season i think me and nick do a really good job of scouting these prospects i think we do a really good job of following and reading about the analytics and reading about scouting reports and just we're, we're not going to be able to watch 200 players that's just not physically possible but for every single one of these players who gets drafted we're going to do the research on them and we're going to read about them from an analytics standpoint their production at the last level we're going to watch as much tape as we can get our hands on once they're drafted and so i think during draft season we had a lot of really good guests on jordan reed ryan wilson of cbs sports jordan reed of the draft network we're going to get a lot more as well this year we're obviously both making a lot of connections in that community as well and we have been and will continue to so stick with us i'm pretty sure our best stuff is going to come during draft season for me i'm very excited about it because i'm turning the page on 2020 i hope the giants can find a way to win this division still i have very little hope based on what i've seen these last two weeks i think that you know as far as the ravens go the defense is going to have a lot more success than they had these last two weeks the defense has been very bad these last two weeks against murray and against baker and a lot of that is because the offense hasn't really given them any chance to ever be in these games i think potentially the offense could improve maybe if jones comes back but i do think the defense will be a little bit better because i think lamar struggles a little bit more against zone and in general as a passer so we'll see what happens there but definitely stick with us and nick is right we did once have eight podcasts so nick now that you've previewed a lot of this game and you've done a lot of content this week how do you feel about this offense now that you watch it on the all 22 as well moving forward and just overall considering every factor in play in this game mccoy was starting um obviously you know they're facing a defense that was getting back denzel ward how do you feel the giants performed in this game I think we should start with the positives and look at the offensive line. We saw against Arizona the offensive line regress back to the beginning of the season where they were just constantly getting manipulated, out-schemed, and just beat really bad. Especially in the out-schemed, you really can look back to 2019 when Hal Hunter was the offensive line coach. Now, the past several games, they've been a lot better, haven't been giving up as many pressures, as many sacks, and then that Cardinal game happened two weeks ago. But against the Browns, against Miles Garrett, arguably a top five pass rusher in the league, Andrew Thomas really held his own. And I thought Andrew Thomas had a very good football game. 
moving up the arc, mirroring Miles Garrett, not allowing Miles Garrett to corner. Like there were several times where Miles Garrett had to step up the arc, tried to dip that inside shoulder and rip through Andrew Thomas, something we've seen him do several times. And Andrew Thomas never let him do it. He just steered him away from the pocket and let Colt McCoy to sit in the pocket, not even really forcing Colt McCoy to even necessarily step up. Andrew Thomas had a very good game. So if we're going to start with the positives, I think that's something that we can really kind of talk about. And that's definitely something that's very exciting. Now, in terms of just the overall scheme and philosophy, there were a couple plays in this game that I really did like. The the play I put up on Twitter where they, as I say, gassed the stick concept, the spacing concept with all curls in the red zone. And it looked like there were receivers open, but Colt McCoy was pressured a little bit. And then he ended up throwing the pass and it was not completed. There was another play in the red zone on the opposite side of the field where they ran, where the Browns were in man coverage and they ended up running out and ups. So if you remember against that Arizona Cardinals game against man coverage, there was no separation. Everyone was just sitting on the routes. They were driving down. The Arizona Cardinals were. In this game, Cleveland showed man. Instead of kind of just doing what they always did, the Giants adjusted. They ran out trying to get the Cleveland defenders to drive downward, and then they ran up to try to gain leverage and get separation that way. I thought that was a nice little adjustment the Giants had as well. In terms of running the football, it was a lot of similar things. Counter, power, gap, duo, a lot of the same stuff that the Giants have kind of formed their identity around. And it was effective in the beginning of the game. And there were some drives where Wayne Gallman was picking up five yards here. There were some drives when Alfred Morris had holes that were absolutely gigantic. Not to take anything away from the Giants offensive line, but I do think some of that was a byproduct of that front. Remember back when the Eagles game, I said that it was an advantageous front to run against. This is a similar front to what the Eagles run. Wide nine, no one really in, in the A gaps. And there's a lot of space for the interior linemen to pull and trap because you're not in a tight three down front. You have four defenders who are wide outside of the tight ends. So there's more room to run in the A gaps and the B gaps. So I think that may have also played into the reason why there were some really gigantic holes for the Giants to run through. But at the same time, some of those offensive linemen, Nick Gates is still, I feel like, showing progress. I thought Kevin Zeitler actually struggled a little bit in this game. And then Shane Lemieux had a couple reps I liked as well. There were a few in pass protection that weren't as great. But I would say overall, it's still uninspiring because you have Colt McCoy kind of back there being the quarterback. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I don't want to bury any of it or sum up any of it. So let's start with where you started then. Start with the offensive line. First thing I have in my notes under offense was great bounce back game from Andrew Thomas. So we're seeing that eye to eye. I think what you said is best. He took away the best thing that Miles Garrett does as a pass rusher, trying to get up that arc, dip his shoulder and get around. And it's like Thomas came into this one, in my mind, really prepared. There's been a lot of talk and discussion this entire season about how well Andrew Thomas prepares. Even last week when Dave DiGuglielmo, the Giants uh, offensive line coach, talked about Thomas and kind of his struggles in that Arizona game. And it wasn't just his struggles. He talked about the entire offensive line struggles. He mentioned that Thomas is a really smart guy. He's a quiet guy, but he's really well prepared. And I think that showed for sure in this game. Now, I don't think Thomas by any means was you know, is the most dominant offensive tackle in this class. I think Wirfs has been a much better player. I think watching Wills across the field 
it honestly looks like Wills is going to be a better player in my mind than Andrew Thomas and is a better player already, but may not be ultimately, but at right now at this juncture is a better player. I haven't watched much Beckton really, to be completely honest with you. And obviously the Giants haven't played the Jets, so we didn't get a chance to, but we obviously on the flip side got a chance to watch Wills and Wirfs, and both of them looked phenomenal against the Giants. Having said that, that's all that, you know, there's no point or value in crying over spilled milk there. Andrew Thomas, as long as he's a pretty solid player for them and plays like he did in this game, he's going to be a really nice fit for them for 10 years. He may not ever be elite, but he'll be a pretty solid above average starter, I think. I think he molded that, and this was a great example of that. I also think what you said is true. It was a great bounce back uh, game for the offensive line in general. You mentioned it. It is advantageous to run against these fronts, and in addition to that, the Browns obviously let go of Schobert, Joel Schobert, and they don't really have the best linebacker corp in the NFL. Oh, wow. I almost did corpse again. I had to catch uh, myself. You know what? I, I heard it in your voice. You wasn't the, going to stop you. heard stop the P you. nearly drop. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I wish, I, I hope the new listeners can get that joke if they listen back a <laughs> <Yeah>. while, <laughs> but that's a, that's a great one. Go on, though. Um, and I agree. They're, the matchup's definitely good, and like you said, schematically speaking, it's advantageous for the Giants, but I thought it was a good bounce-back game. I think we saw it a little bit differently with Lemieux. I think Lemieux was actually really good in the run game. And I think that might have been what you're referring to. I thought this was actually more so than usual. He had more f-ups in the past game than I'm used to seeing. Usually, it's like one. To, it's been like one to two. Did I did I say he messed up in the run game? Because I, I, I no no no. Oh, you said yeah. that he had a better game. I think you only said there was only a couple mess ups in the. I actually, the run game is a whole separate point. I was trying to make. I think you just said he had a better. I didn't. Really, I think you said he had a much or, a, or an okay game and had a few mess ups in the past game, right? Yeah, that's what that's yeah. what I saw. Like, I think for me, it's actually, kind of the consistent thing that you always kind of see. There's always going to be a couple plays where he's out of position there was one that was really really egregious that i'm sure we'll get into as well yeah I, to me i actually thought it was more than usual for Lemieux. is all i'm saying maybe maybe it goes back to the tampa bay game because I, I don't think this game was as bad as, as as his tampa bay game yeah i'd have to think back to that game or look yeah. back at our, our notes that we have or my notes and your notes separately as we put them together but i did think compared to what i've been seeing over the last few weeks there's been more than i had been noticing um, with Lemieux, uh, he he got beat really bad on an inside spin by Richardson. Ultimately, Richardson was a tough matchup. In addition to Garrett Richardson, he may not be what he used to be in people's minds because he's kind of fallen out of the lore and the and the, and the you know the love affair that people have with NFL players because it's there's been so much you know turmoil with him in his career but he still showed flashes and he showed it in this game of the player that used to play on the Jets the guy who was one of the most dominant interior defensive linemen in the NFL from a pass rushing standpoint I thought he put Lemieux on skates multiple times there was times where Lemieux got washed where he spun out out of Lemieux there were times where he beat Lemieux with with a move the, the same move that always beats Lemieux it seems like that swat over the top on the inside or I'm sorry, on the outside of Lemieux on his left shoulder, and then obviously with the spin. So actually, I thought this was one of Lemieux's worst games. Maybe not as bad as Tampa, but one of his worst games in pass pro. And it kind of leads me to my next point. He he clearly is a good run blocker, and he executes the double teams with Andrew Thomas well, and I think the Giants like that a lot. But are you seeing anything different than what you saw in recent weeks to lead you to believe that Lemieux should again be playing this many more snaps than Will Hernandez or do you kind of feel the same way you felt I, I feel the same way I felt which is that I think Will Hernandez is a superior pass blocker I don't necessarily think it's up for debate or anything close mm-hmm. whereas Lemieux is a better run blocker I think overall but I think it's pretty damn close I don't think it's that big of a disparity but I think the thing they really like about Lemieux is when he is the backside guard pulling and trapping which is something that 
this offense loves to do. They love to either do it with a single puller, and they love to run the counter with Caden Smith coming from the H-back position, the Y off the line of scrimmage, YY position, and then coming through the hole and just absolutely annihilating the first defensive player to present themselves, which he did in this game a oh, couple yeah. times. Caden Smith is very, very aggressive doing so. But I think they just really love Caden Smith, I mean, uh, Shane Lemieux, in that role as that lead blocker, that backside pulling guard. And again, like I said several times in the past, this could be something internal, something that Will Hernandez isn't doing or something that Shane Lemieux is doing in prep and in practice that this Joe Judge-led team just seems to value. And it could just be something as simple as... They just want that. They just want a certain amount of toughness that they don't feel Will Hernandez brings. Now, I watch Will Hernandez's film, and I don't see any lack of toughness. But I do see these co- this coaching staff praising Shane Lemieux for his toughness. Is that an indictment on Will Hernandez? I think that question can be posed. But if you watch the film, I don't see it, and I don't think you do either. No, I don't. And I think at this point, we have a large enough sample size to know that this goes beyond the film. Now, I think a fair assessment can be made that again, Lemieux maybe is tougher player like you said he's the guy they want leading their main run play which is important i guess like if you're considering that it's the play the giants like to use a lot and they sprung a lot of big gains on it today i mean i'm sorry in this game they you know and i love how you mentioned caden smith because i want to talk about him the the play he made in the second quarter with 857 the second and eight on the cleveland 49 that morris 12 yard run where the just a gaping hole smith is just so effective here as a run blocker smith only had 23 of the 55 snaps in this game nick and i thought that was a mistake by the coaching staff i think smith has earned the right to play 70 to 75 percent of the snaps in every single game with how he's blocking right now he is blocking like a madman he takes out seals off the the linebacker here and makes it possible and by the way that's bj goodson on this play and makes it possible for this wide open hole this gaping hole for morris to hit and obviously you know i have my own feelings on on having morris in the game for as many snaps as the giants did and Dion lewis as well i also in addition to smith don't feel it was the right move to have wayne gallman in for just 23 or 55 snaps i think those two players should never be on the field for sub 50% snaps with the current roster the Giants have on offense. But I did want to give kudos to Caden Smith as well. Especially with the personnel packaging that the Giants love to run. It's multiple tight ends. It's 12. It's 13 personnel. Mm-hmm. And Caden Smith is clearly your number two tight end over Levine Toilolo. And I feel like he has a higher blocking upside than Levine. It's just Levine is a bit longer and maybe they trust him more in max protect type of situations and pass protection things along those lines you've seen him be matched up against edge rushers and stuff so sometimes that has to happen it's never ideal to leave Levine Toy Lolo on a TJ Watt but maybe they have more trust in Levine because he has more experience than someone like Caden Smith but they love Caden Smith as this pulling H back and he deserves every bit of the love because he literally flies around like sweet tooth from twisted metal you ever played twisted metal uh, hair I've, on fire bro. i've seen you play it i've never actually played it yeah yeah hair on fire and he's just plays with a reckless abandon and like it dave DiGuglielmo said it with uh the cardinal you like that <laughs> <laughs> DiGuglielmo. but he the said it against the cardinals the cardinals took away their main running play and it affected the entire offense they couldn't really move the football Kane Smith is a big part of that downhill gap power scheme. So you're right. I would like to see him on something a little bit different than this too. I think he has earned that right. Yeah, and even you mentioned as we kind of turn the page to the next thing, and we'll probably do that in a bit after a quick break for him to hear a word from our sponsors, but not just yet. On that route you were discussing in the red zone where the Giants did a really good job 
of gassing those routes and and um, you know running basically the fake the fake stick route to turn into the upfield burst. Caden Smith was wide open, and Colt McCoy threw the wrong you know threw to the wrong read. He threw to Evan Ingram, who was contested. If he throws that back shoulder, Caden Smith, it's a touchdown. And last year, Caden Smith actually in the second half when Evan Ingram was injured was one of the Giants' best red zone threats, and he proved to be one of their better options in the red zone. I think this entire offense throughout this entire season has misutilized Caden Smith in the red zone. His role is not as expanded as it should be in the red zone. I believe he should be one of the featured players in the red zone. And as we're watching this route now on the All-22, as I'm saying it, and I'm watching it again for probably the fourth or fifth time, if Colt McCoy throws this ball with anticipation to Caden Smith, he doesn't even have to go back shoulder. He can throw that front shoulder and it's a touchdown. So ultimately, it's a great route design. It's a great route combination. But you'd like to see, I'd like to see Caden Smith as more in more of a featured role in the red zone as well. For those of you who want to blame someone for the Giants not acquiring Chase Young, maybe Kane Smith he caught that touchdown in overtime so he does have that red zone upside that you're talking to and on that route that's a third and five this is right before that botched field goal fake field goal attempt whatever the heck we want to call it which was pretty crazy when you think about it like I went through and I watched it and it's just kind of funny and I get I think I get what the Giants were trying to do there. They were trying to draw those linebackers by having Casey Kreider show his hands and, and flash up with Dalvin Tomlinson and Dexter Lawrence as lead blockers. But then you got Cam Fleming running like a, a post route just to try to occupy that cornerback. You were just trying to draw those linebackers away from the middle of the field so Nick Gates can be uncovered leak out, yeah. and leak out. And then you have the little slant from Graham Gano. But to me, it's, it's just too cute. I think Joe Judge said the execution wasn't all that great there, but... You see that a lot on film, or you just see that a lot with just being around the game. Whenever somebody right at the snap flashes their hands and starts jumping up and down like throw me the football, that's usually going to be some sort of bluff. Bluff. It's going yeah. to be some sort of deception type of play. But yeah, I, I do like this third and five play where they run that they run the fake stick, turn inside, and go right upfield. And you're right, that, that would have been a touchdown if, if Colt McCoy put that ball where it needed to be. And Colt McCoy missed quite a few throws in this game. And yeah. had bad reads as well. Yeah, yeah, he did. I have some some plays that give him kudos. No, no, no I was going to say, I want to <laughs> say there are plays that do give him kudos. Yeah. we got to look at Colt McCoy for who he is. He's a veteran journeyman type quarterback, high mental processing, knows the playbook's going to get your, your offense set up optimally against the defense that presents itself. But he's not somebody who's going to win with arm talent, and he never will be, and he's not going to be able to stretch the field vertically. And if you don't have a lot of playmakers underneath to kind of break short passes into long gains, which the Giants don't really seem to have. They have Evan Ingram, but it just never really seems to work out. Then you're probably not going to be able to score a lot of points with a guy like that. Yeah, and with a guy like that as well, you're also always going to be facing a different style of defense you're going to be facing a defense that doesn't really need to play its safeties too far off the ball mm-hmm. you're going to be facing a defense that doesn't really need to play its corners too far off the ball and that's just not advantageous for any offense even at times we've seen that happen to Eli Manning in the past and even Daniel Jones and it's been a really negative it's had a negative impact on how the Giants can move the ball and score points and We'll talk about all that and the offensive scheme as well and what Freddie Kitchens did in his first game as the Giants play caller. But before we do any of that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. 
Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly, so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire, all one word. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing, and you might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day every day. Head to Bet Online online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Actually, Nick, I want to make one point before we move to kind of Freddie Kitchens, the offensive system, some of the play calls we liked and didn't like. The point I'm trying to make here is that I think everyone needs to take a step back and consider the pre- the pro football focus cumulative grades should really just been, and I hate to say it like this, especially for a company that I used to work for that, I'll be quite honest, did not treat its employees well, and there's a lot of documented cases of that, and I was one of them. So I don't really care. <laughs> to be completely honest, I don't care about burning this bridge. I don't want to work for them ever again. But you can't take their cumulative grades seriously when they come out with this. They have a zero, zero, literally not one, two, three, 14, 15, a zero pass blocking grade for Shane Lemieux and a 24 pass blocking grade for Will Hernandez. Now, when you factor that in, the way their grades work, that zero and that 24 is going to go into some dumb average over the 16 games or whatever they play, whenever they're healthy for, and it turns into this cumulative grade. So at the end of the season, when we're saying, you know, Will Hernandez was the 32nd ranked guard in the NFL with a 56.8 grade, it's like, yeah, he also had this dumb 24, random 24 they gave him, or a zero that they gave Shane Lemieux. Like, there's no way Shane, like, I bet you some of their 53s they gave out, if I watch the tape of the 53 graded guard this week versus the zero graded pass blocking guard and Shane Lemieux, I'll be like, eh, honestly, they look pretty similar to me. Shane Lemieux maybe blew one extra rep than this guy blew. So I, it's just a point I'm making. I was looking at the grades. I saw that Lemieux had the zero in pass block. Hernandez had the 24. And I just, you know what? I'm done with it. I'm never referenced. I, I have to catch me when I do it again, because I'm sure I will in free agency when I'm like, ooh, this guy was the 11th ranked guard. Can the Giants sign him? Not guard, by the way. Giants aren't in the market for a guard. But let's say it's like, ooh, this guy was like the 11th ranked right tackle. Can the Giants get him cheap? This is great value. Just catch me because I'm, I'm done referencing their grades, their overall grades. I used to think they had value because not everybody can watch offensive line. We can't watch every offensive lineman. And I think they probably can 
can still have value with corners in some positions. I think there's value with con- with consistency. Yeah. Because the top-rated guys usually are the top-rated guys. But you're certainly correct. And I think with the zero grade, I might have read somewhere that, like, that's like a non quantifiable grade that's what that means when you give someone a zero it doesn't mean like you scored a zero on a test but it just means like it can't be quantified but i could be off on but does that. that go into their cumulative grade i'm, for ima- the year? I'm imagining it does but it's kind it's of weird like, any if, kind of if, if i'm gonna be honest like, <laughs> i don't like i i see the grades and that's whatever but i watch the film and i'm film based yeah. like i'll use the grades if i go to like the bangles and i'll and i'll see like Oh, we're playing the Bengals this week. How is their right guard? Let me see, you know? And then I can, like, do something like that, you know, if I don't have the time to watch the film. But Shane Lemieux all year has had, like, one of the wor- some of the worst grades I've ever seen. It- it's kind of ridiculous. They-, they must really not like Mario and Claude Lemieux. They must, like, hate hockey or something. Because... Lemieux. It's a Lemieux conspiracy. <laughs> I do think there are times when you have the same guy grading or charting i should say every game for every team or every player there are some biases that can tend to that tend to come from that probably my personal opinion and that's not saying that with any kind of certainty or evidence or fact i just feel like that's natural human bias that can come into play and i don't know if that's the case here but i just know that when you're averaging when you're throwing these numbers into the average it's hard to take any of them seriously Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the play calling nick because i thought overall even have this in my notes the red zone play calling was better we talked about the third and five i like that too i really like the wrinkle on second 11 from the cleveland 19 in the first quarter with 419 you know evan ingram here he runs that over route but then he flips his hips and that's like the natural athleticism he should we talk a lot about evan ingram as this really poor route runner not really poor but not an excellent route runner that's not part of his game and this is like a good example of of Ingram running a really good route. So let's break this play down because we both like the play call and the route running by Ingram. Yeah, especially in the red zone. I mean, there's usually not a lot of space, but the Giants use pre-snap motion with Sterling Shepard to kind of draw the linebackers to the other side. That is Ingram's side. And what I like about this is this is a leak out from Ingram who fakes like he's going to block, and then he runs a dragon up. So it's basically just a cross and up, and you have Darius Slayton, who's on the side of where the destination of the route is going, running an in-breaking route to clear out that cornerback. So all there's going to be is space. And Evan Ingram runs this route really well, flips his hips, and if Colt McCoy could put a nice throw over the top, this would have been a completion. But Carl Joseph, who had a really good game, ended up making a phenomenal play on the football and disrupting this pass. And I think... Chris Collinsworth said on the broadcast that this was the play that was an oh bleep play, like an oh shit play. Yeah. So we've seen O.J. Howard have success with this at Alabama. We've seen him have success with this in the NFL. And I think this is an excellent way to kind of get Evan Ingram's skill set and use it in a, in a different fashion because what you want here is a really athletic tight end. Because once he gets a step or two on those linebackers and he's running into space towards the field side, those linebackers are going to be put into a pretty tough spot to cut that angle off. And all you need is a throw over the top. So really like this play call. Yeah, this is a really excellent play call when you have someone like Ingram on your team. It makes me a little nervous. Not nervous. That's not the right word. A little disappointed that it took them 15 weeks to call this play in the red zone. The red zone is the hardest area in in the NFL to call plays. And this is an excellent play call that should be a staple of their playbook. I feel like it should have came out three, two to three more times earlier this season from Jason Garrett, and he just didn't for whatever reason. It's obviously in his playbook, in his system. It's not like Freddie Kitchens had time to install his own playbook. He's using Jason Garrett's playbook and he's just calling it his own plays. 
and yeah, it's it's a unfortunately I think Daniel Jones hits this throw nine out of ten times, maybe even ten out of ten. It's a really easy throw to make. It's a really really poor throw from Colt McCoy. It just shows kind of the limitations of having someone like him as your QB two. It's it's not a good spot to be in as an NFL team, but. I think it's a really excellent design, and I hope the Giants come back to it. But I also did want to give credit to Ingram for running this route really well. Yeah, it was a really good route. And you also, like you said, you want to give credit to the play caller here. You love how Browns get sucked up by that play action, and then you leak out Wayne Gallman into the flat, which takes away that linebacker from the side that Evan Ingram is running to. So it's really Evan Ingram has all the advantage there. All he needs is a good throw. Yep. Anything else that stood out to you from Freddie Kitchen's play calling? Any specific plays or just general tendencies that you liked or didn't like? I really loved how he called this game just in a different manner than what Jason Garrett's kind of shown. He ran on some pass downs, had success. He passed a lot on rundowns. There was a lot of play action in this game, and I really came away impressed with that especially in the situation where you have Colt McCoy you're, you're not favored at home you're, you're no one is, expects you to win this football game you still come out and you do things a little bit differently keep that defense on their toes also may help slow the pass rush down of Miles Garrett sometimes he doesn't know if it's going to be a run or a pass you kind of keep that on their uh, those pass rushers on their toes as well I really liked I really like that specific part of this game plan it was just different from what we've seen yeah I think that's an excellent point I think if you generally want to look for ways to be an successful a successful offense over time consistent ways you can build a winning offense one use a lot of play action every single metric advanced analytic basic analytics and stats will tell you that play action passing game brings up the efficiency of the offense Another way to do it, and we saw this a lot from Kevin Skafanski on the other side of the field, who I made a case for, and I'll talk about this a little bit later when we talk about the defensive podcast, as coach of the year, is to pass on obvious rundowns. That's been something the Giants have struggled to do with Jason Garrett as their offensive coordinator and play caller this entire season. Jason Garrett has taken a lot of easy wins in the run game on second and short situations, and on other downs that were obvious rundowns, he's pounded the rock and he's found some success with if you want to call it success by moving the chains but ultimately a lot of these drives didn't result in points and certainly didn't result in touchdowns because although they moved the chains that's just one first down that doesn't really get much for you besides moving the chains a little bit down the field and running another minute or two of clock kitchens on the other hand like you said and you did an excellent job of breaking down had a lot of play calls in this game where he passed out of run, obvious run situations, and he tipped it off with his personnel really well, and then obviously with his play calling, and he turned those into big gains at times. The leak out to Levine Toilolo was an excellent play to pick up a nice easy 10-11 yards there on an obvious second and one run play, and throughout the game, I thought he, he did a really good job of that. I thought he also did a really good job of using more vertical route concepts and challenging the defense down the field vertically on downs where you could be trying to move the chains or you'd be trying to get to the sticks or you don't want to fall behind the sticks. I think a lot of times NFL play callers that I ultimately don't get on board with, such as a Jason Garrett, for example, who I have no interest in being the coordinator, I'll just be honest. I just, I've seen enough. I don't like him. I didn't think he, he was horrible in Dallas, in my opinion, and he's been bad with the Giants. I think a lot of the times as a coordinator, the guys I don't like are the guys who don't understand the value of chunk yardage plays on all times and the guys who are scared to get into third and tens. 
the, the the third and ten situation is not really as bad as you think. Like it's really not. You might lose. You might have to punt a few more times. You might take a few more sacks in a game. But the value of hitting those big plays, and we saw that in this game, he hit a few really nice plays. To Darius Slayton, and then one to Sterling Shepard, which I'll talk about a little later because I want to give somebody else credit for that. That's not even related to the offensive skill players or Colt McCoy. But the value of that is you can make big plays and you can try to move the ball in chunks. And I think that's something that, at least from this small sample size, I took away from Freddie Kitchen's play calling. I think that's very fair. And you also got to think what the defense is going to, how they're going to react when they think you're running the football, then you hit them with a play-action pass, and you don't even only hit them with a play-action pass, but you also gas those routes. You run that out route, and then you, you're you like, oh, man, I got to scramble to get to my zone because I thought it was run. That's what the linebacker or the curl-flat defender is thinking. And then instead of running out and having that guy move laterally, you bust up the field vertically, and it just gives you another edge on the defense, and it just keeps that defense guessing. So I really did love—I really love to see that from Freddie Kitchens, and it was definitely refreshing. Yeah, and it brings up an interesting point. Like, how would you feel if... Now, ultimately, I don't know what the situation is. And I think that unless there is bad blood or not a great working relationship between Jason Garrett and Joe Judge, which there's been rumors that that's the case, but I haven't seen any tangible evidence at all of that. So I'm not going to assume that. Are those Pat Leonard rumors? <laughs> no, I don't even think it's from Pat Leonard. Who, as anyone who follows me on Twitter probably knows, I've just been responding to multiple Pat Leonard tweets lately with just all caps lol that's that's all i need to say to some of his tweets the way he frames some of his tweets and you know the way he writes certain articles it's purely just to drive clicks and to he, he's literally everything that people hate about the sports media and he paints a bad picture for people like me and you so i'm not afraid to call him out and i will continue to call him out for his for his garbage because he because of that one thing he paints a bad bad picture for us and he puts us in a bad spot in my opinion by acting the way he does. And I get it. That's part of what working for the New York Daily News is all about. I know someone who used to be an editor there. He's now an editor for CBS Sports. I won't reveal his name, but I'm sure he wouldn't care. He's one of my good friends and colleagues. He told me about, he used to work at the New York Daily News as an editor. He told me about some of the things that go on there. He told me about that company in general. That's their whole business model. The company employed Manish Mehta. Boom, done. That's all you need to know. But uh, to be fair, and this is what I wanted to round out, and we'll go, we'll get off this tangent in a second. But to be fair, from what I heard from him, my friend who used to work there, Pat Leonard's actually a pretty nice guy. Yeah, and we're not saying that he's Manish by any stretch. And of he's the nowhere near no. Manish. Obviously, what Manish did is just out of this world, crazy and horrendous. Horrendous. But from what I've heard. That's kind of what working at the New York Daily News is all about. They kind of make you write that type of stuff and lead in those kind of ways to kind of generate money for their company. And it, and it works. It works. We make fun. You guys make fun of them on Twitter. We just kind of de- bash them a tiny bit, which I feel ba- a little bit bad about. I'm sure you're not listening to this, Pat, but if you are, no hard feelings, I hope. Jeez. Uh, but ultimately, you guys are reading it, or someone's reading it, someone's clicking it because it's working, and they've been able to stay in business at least until this time. But anyway, let's circle back to where we're going with this, and that's I don't think I think Jason Garrett will be back as offensive coordinator because I just this I've followed this team for too long, and I've seen the type of stuff that they do from that type of standpoint, and I just don't think they move on from coaches very fast, or managers very fast, or you know, or other players very fast. But if he's not back, let's use the hypothetical and say there may be bad blood or the Giants look at him they say our offense was 31st in scoring with Jason Garrett how the hell can we bring this back and if that's the case 
would is Freddie Kitchen someone you'd entertain as offensive coordinator of the Giants because he had a really strong half season as the coordinator of the Browns and then took over as the head coach last season and had a bad season trying to be the head coach and the play caller. I would absolutely entertain it. I would entertain a lot of different people. You got to bring it in, see who meshes well with Joe Judge. But the upside to having someone like Freddie Kitchens is he knows Daniel Jones already. There's already some sort of rapport there. I know he's not the offensive coordinator here, but he's still an offensive coach. He still knows the culture here. He's worked with Joe Judge. I think there's a lot of upside to little things like that. So I would definitely entertain that. Yeah, and I think Freddie Kitchens and Judge have a working relationship that goes back before their time with the Giants. They do. Well. It goes back to the college. I think Joe Judge tells a story about how he built, built that a, swing yeah, set or whatever. Swing yeah. set for I've me. heard that swing set story uh, from Joe Judge. He built uh, Freddie Kitchens a swing set for his kids. It was some long story, but it was interesting. But I don't remember it enough to re- <laughs> recount it here. But I think I'm with you, Nick. I think I would entertain the idea of Kitchens. I don't think he can be judged fully for his unsuccessful season as Brown's head coach for a lot of reasons. Their offensive line collapsed in and of itself last season. They didn't have Jedrick Wills. They didn't have Jack Conklin. And Wyatt Teller wasn't playing the football. He's playing right now for them. And we'll get to that offensive line on the defensive podcast because, in my opinion, it was the best offensive line the Giants have faced all season. And I think it is the NFL's best offensive line. I'll just say watching Jedrick Wills block Carter Coughlin, it was it was nothing. And it scares me so much that Carter Coughlin's going to be going up against DJ Fluke who's a lot bigger than him, may not be as skilled, but Orlando freaking Brown, who's like over 100 pounds more than him. <laughs> <laughs> and so much longer than him. So much longer. He's like six foot eight. With <laughs> He's literally over 100 pounds more than him. It's ridiculously longer. But, you know, it's the state of the Giants' edge right now. That's obviously a position that's going to have to be upgraded this offseason. There's, there's no doubt about that. But as far as the offense goes, I'm not going to totally rule out Freddie Kitchens from that job. I think he had some really creative moments as the Browns coordinator in that second half that got him hired for that job. And he had did a really good job with Baker in his rookie season. So I'm definitely intrigued by that. And I think his system would be entirely different. I think he was even coaching this game handicap because he had to use Jason Garrett's system. That's not his system. He didn't write that. He didn't create that system. He's using someone else's playbook and he's just picking the plays out of it. And he did a good job of it, actually, to be quite honest with you, considering A, he's not using his playbook and B, he has Colt McCoy at quarterback. Um, so ultimately it's something I would consider as well, Nick, but we'll have to see what direction they go there. Um, a couple other points I wanted to make from this game. One thing that really stood out to me, really great play from Nick Gates here. And that was 13:01 remaining in the first quarter here. Second and eight from the Cleveland 35. It's just such a heady play by Gates. And he's come close to these at times, but he finally got one. He snaps the ball here perfect time because what it ends up seeing what you end up seeing on these plays is the center or the or whoever the offensive lineman will read that the the defense is offsides but they either won't snap it until it's too late and the refs will blow the play dead and just call it a five-yard penalty offsides or sometimes it'll ultimately result in the refs missing it and the offensive line gets called for the false start this one he's able to see the offsides the guy lined up in the neutral zone he's able to snap the ball in time to get McCoy who gets the ball out on this 22-yard back shoulder throw to Sterling Shepard. This was a huge play. Obviously, the drive ultimately didn't end up in points, but that has nothing to do with this play. And I thought it was really just another tip to the tip of the cap to Nick Gates, who just continues to impress me week after week. Yeah, I love Nick Gates, man. Just to think that this dude was an undrafted tackle out of Nebraska, and now he's our starting center playing He's not, I wouldn't say he's the best offensive lineman on the line when you look at the entire year, but in terms of progression and the learning curve, 
Yeah, I think you would have to say because Zeitler's a very experienced guard. And I think Zeitler had two down games, but I don't think that's because he's old. He could be playing through an injury. I still want Kevin Zeitler on this team long term. I think he's could be a foundational piece for the next couple of years, but we'll have to see how that plays out. But Nick Gates, man, you really can't heap enough praise on him. And also the coaching staff for kind of getting him up to speed. I know he's had to deal with a couple different offensive line coaches, but maybe credit should uh, go to all of those guys. Yeah, for sure. Nick Gates is a super big bright spot and ultimately what is not as bright of a season as some Giants fans who want to retain Dave Gettleman or whatever it is, want to maintain the status quo, would lead you to believe because they have nine losses already. They've clinched another losing season, but there are some bright spots and Nick Gates is certainly one of them. He's not the only one. Andrew Thomas with a great bounce back game. He's another bright spot. The Giants run game in general, their ability to kind of get things going week after week, with the exception of Arizona, where obviously Arizona did a really excellent job to stop, like Nick said, what they love to do in the run game with the counter and with the power and with the duo. But ultimately, this is so much better. You guys have to take a step back and think about last season when you guys listened to our All-22 podcast week after week. We kept talking about how Pat Shermer's inside zone, just inside zone based run game, just felt helpless. It never made progress. They rarely were able to ever have big gains. They were rarely able to string together five or six plays like we see week after week, with the exception of Arizona, that this run's game's able to string together. They committed to a more power and gap space scheme, and they're really executing a lot of these plays really well, and they're finding success that they never found last season. They never found it last season. I know we bring this up a lot, but damn, I would love to see Saquon Barkley in this kind of system. I know Saquon in college ran predominantly out of shotgun basically the entire time, and Giants run out of shotgun quite a bit, but even in single back with power gap where there's basically one designed hole and he has to follow yeah. his blockers and you take that you take that reading the blocks out, out of, of it yes Saquon Barkley getting to the second level behind a Caden Smith and Shane Lemieux block that that sounds very sexy to me it's a great point one of the biggest reasons Saquon I don't want to say a struggle because he was so really he's been dominant in all his games when you consider what he's able to do on the, with those explosive plays that kind of make up for some of his negative plays. But like, like you said, sometimes what he struggled with is when, especially in Pat Germer's system with all that inside zone, when there are multiple holes to pick from, sometimes he struggled with, you know, where do I go? Which hole do I read? His vision and his, you know, some of the nuances of the position weren't ultimately always there for Saquon Barkley. Yeah, you watch Nick Chubb and it's just a totally different thing. Yeah, that's, you know, you guys, yeah, I mean, we, we don't have to compare it to Chubb, they're different running backs, but like you said, this system does an excellent job actually of taking some of that out of it for Saquon Barkley. It's a great point you just made, and I think we should rehash it, so I'm going to. Taking this specific system is the perfect system right now, at least at the NFL level, because obviously, like you said, I mean, he ran almost predominantly from shotgun at Penn State in that system, Moorhead system. It's a really unique system. But for the NFL level, and again, like Nick said, there are shotgun runs in this system, but for the NFL level, this power gap stuff with the counters, this is perfect for for Barkley because it will make his reads defined as a running back. And then, like Nick says, once he gets to the second level, he, besides Derrick Henry, is probably the most difficult running back to get down on the ground. Yeah, first you got to catch him, and then you have to have the wherewithal and the tackling ability and the strength to bring Bring him him down to the ground, which we've seen plenty of times that doesn't necessarily work. I wanted to give Shane Lemieux a a nod in the run game for anybody who's following on Game Pass. Go to the fourth quarter, second and nine, 12-16 left. It was a 14-yard run by Alfred Morris. I'd rather see Wayne Gallman in this game, but this is one of those counter runs that we talk so much about where there's two pulling linemen. This time the backside guard is... 
not Shane Lemieux, it's Kevin Zeitler. So that means Shane Lemieux is going to be basically executing a base block against the lineman that's covering him. And he does so very well, gets his hands inside, holds up, and then does not allow the blocker, or I mean the defender, to restrict the gap and get to Alfred Morris. Andrew Thomas also helps the beginning of the play, which Andrew Thomas does pretty well on these types of plays when he has to take the wide rusher. You saw this against Philly. You see this against the Browns. He sticks that inside arm in hard on the guy covering Shane Lemieux to assist Shane Lemieux and allow Shane Lemieux to kind of get leverage to drive him inside to open up that B-gap really wide. And then Thomas comes off folds and then takes out that wide rusher. Yeah, it's sometimes it's really pretty to watch this Giants run game. And that's is, a big yeah. testament to how far they've come from last season where they couldn't generate almost anything in the run game. That's a big takeaway moving forward when you consider both Gates, Hernandez, likely Lemieux, um, sorry, both Gates, Thomas, likely Lemieux and Hernandez to some degree, and Zeitler will all be part of this offensive line next season. And they'll probably most likely have Caden Smith back there. And, you know, Evan Ingram to some extent can be thrown in the mix here as well. And they're going to be able to execute a lot of what they've found success with in the running game, no matter who the coordinator is. Because no matter who takes over, if they do move on from Jason Garrett, they're going to most likely continue to run a lot of this power and gap. There's no way they're going to see what they saw on film this season and want to go away from this because they found so much success for it. And they're only going to build on it with more continuity and with more practice reps and game reps. So that's a big takeaway. That's a really bright spot for this team right now. If the Giants were to bring in a McVay or a Shanahan disciple or someone like that, then you would see a lot more stretch zone wide zone attack the outside whereas Pat Shermer he did that as well but he also did just way too much inside zone which would just like you said before never got on the same page but if Garrett does go I really hope they do maintain this kind of rushing attack I think it fits the personnel really well it's perfect for Barkley and that should be the most important concern when you're considering how to design your running attack how what fits Saquon Barkley best that's the number one thing the only important thing to in my mind at least to to take away from that all right nick anything else you wanted to touch on from this game i have a couple plays where i could give kudos to mccoy i thought you know he made a really nice read in the third quarter with 10 37 third and six from the giants own 18 it's a great hot read he caught the blitzing nickel got it to shepherd for the first down through the and then you know a couple plays later with 838 in the third quarter on that same drive he threw a great anticipation throw to slayton a deep you know a, a, a dig route and he threw a really nice ball here to slayton this was a drive where the Giants were getting it moving, and then they decided to make a punt from Cleveland territory. I thought this was the drive that ended the game for the Giants. This is the type of these are the moments where I sway away from Judge, and I don't think he's as perfect and as great as Giants Twitter and everybody seems to think this Judge guy is. It's these type of moments. I mean, you want to talk about the really great coach from this class? It's Kevin Stefanski. They there's no argument to be made. The Giants got the best coach in this class when you watch a game like this because Kevin Stefanski is clear cut that I mean there's a case to be made for Kevin Stefanski to be the coach of the year and I think that's a strong case to be made not just the best rookie coach but the coach of the year but I mean and I don't even think that's a hot take no it's not a hot take it shouldn't, Warren, it shouldn't be undersold what Stefanski's doing there at the same time Stefanski has a, I would say a better foundation than what oh, Judge way has. better foundation a much better foundation way better but foundation. I, I would also agree I, I did not like the punt in that situation yeah. like you, you you did concede the game at that point you have to kind of risk it for the biscuit with Colt McCoy as your quarterback and I think like I alluded you need to momentum at that point you, you, you gotta put some points on the board it's 20 to seven at you need, that point. and I think once judge punted it there basically it. told Stefanski like all right I'm just gonna I'm not even gonna put Nick Chubb back in the game and I don't even think we saw Nick Chubb after that you didn't need him didn't need him <laughs> <laughs> he's the best player you didn't need him so 
definitely not 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 ideal but definitely on the flip side great two great plays by McCoy like Nick said earlier this game the good with McCoy is that he's experienced he's veteran he's heady and he knows how to get them into situations like that third and six where he does a really good job identifying the defense seeing the blitzing nickel and getting the ball out for that to the hot read for the to move the chains for the first down and I think he showed a lot of good examples of that in this game but ultimately that ceiling is super capped because it is it very much limits you I mean the Giants had 55 offensive plays in this game they had what 50 something against the Cardinals you can't be winning games when you're going back to back 50 plus uh you know 55 or under plays in a game it just means you're not on the field enough it just means and and both games they scored what six points and nine points what did they score against Arizona well, that's the thing. You can do it if you have Pat Mahomes throwing, yeah, you know, yeah, ninety yard yeah. touchdowns and stuff like that. But, but this guy can't do that. That guy can't do it. And the Giants offense, that's been a, a huge a huge uh, problem with this offense. Last year, a problem with this team in general was the defense allowing explosive plays. Yeah. This year, the problem with the team in general is, is the that the offense doesn't have explosive plays. And ironically, in twenty nineteen, they actually had explosive plays. Yeah, then but they gave up too many on defense. Like but they said. gave up too many. So on So what's defense. the common denominator here for those of you following along? Explosive chunk yardage plays define and define football games and define wins and losses. So when you have an offense design like this, that in itself, in my personal opinion, limits the the possibilities of explosive plays. It's uniquely flawed and it can't be fixed. And again, I don't see any future with Jason Garrett. That's bright personally i mean things could get better next year because it'll be a second year in a system if they keep garrett let's say things could get better because jones could progress a second year in a system but you're always going to have these issues with a system like this that the way it's designed and these are the same issues by the way this ain't like something new this ain't rocket science this ain't some kind of a unique thing that we me or nick or anyone who's said this about jason garrett has cracked these are the exact same complaints the dallas cowboys fans have had for years, and not just Dallas Cowboys fans, Dallas Cowboys analysts I talked to and spoke to this offseason had the same exact complaints about Jason Garrett's system, and they come to fruition again. He said, I learned things along the way. Meanwhile, the Dallas Cowboys offense didn't break out until he turned the offense over to Kellen Moore last season, and Kellen Moore took over and did a lot of different things, including pre-snap motion and a lot of misdirection and then more vertical shots to open up that offense, and it was night and day. In 2014, was Jason Garrett the coordinator, or was it Scott Linehan? I'm actually not sure about who was the coordinator in 2014 for the Cowboys. And we paused the podcast to look it up. It was Bill Callahan. No wonder that offensive (laughs) line was so dominant for a while with the personnel they had as well. Man, I really wanted the Giants to do anything in their power this offseason to hire Bill Callahan as their offensive line coach. He was a free agent coming off that Washington season. I was, I just, for when those guys hit the market, they're so rare. I'm just like, just pay them up. You're the Giants. You're Mara. You're loaded with cash. This doesn't go against the cap. Just fire it out. Just fire it out. But ultimately, it was never going to happen because Bill Gallahan and Jason Carrot have a horrendous working relationship. They do not like each other at all. They won't work with each other. Bill Callahan refuses to work with Garrett again. And so it was never going to happen with Garrett as the offensive coordinator. But you watch a game like that. Obviously, there's a lot of talent on the Cleveland offensive line. They signed Jack Conklin, which was basically the move the Giants hoped they were making when they signed Nate Solder because Conklin's been really good and he has that huge contract. They drafted Jedrick Wills, who's come along incredibly fast. But to be fair, me and Nick both loved his tape, thought he was the smoothest tackle in this class. Both of us thought he was the safest pick at four. And obviously, they have Wyatt Teller. 
But part of why Wyatt Teller's having this breakout season in my mind is because Bill Callahan arrived there. And Bill Callahan has done an excellent job with each individual on that line and that overall line, which we'll get to on the next podcast. But you see this type of thing come together and you see his track record and so consistent Callahan with all the teams he takes over, offensive line coach. And you just think when those guys hit the market, man, you, you should just try to get them. You should just try to pay up because they make a big difference for your team. The, the difference, it can't be understated, to be honest. And the funny thing about that line and how talented it is with Conklin, with Wyatt Teller, with Jedrick Wills, J.C. Treader and Joel Batonio are two very good football players. I know. They don't, even get <laughs> and they don't even get mentioned. It's insane. It's such a good point. And it's it's really excellent to watch them, them go to work. We'll talk about that in the next pod because – Again, best offensive line I've seen on all 22 all season by far, what the Giants have faced at least. I would love for the Giants to have an offensive line like that. And they're getting better on the offensive line. They the are. Giants. We're, that's the key takeaway from this podcast is there's building blocks in the offensive line, and they're playing much better there. But, you know, that's a whole nother level. Anyway, on that note, that's all we have for today's show on the All-22 Offensive Podcast. Stick with us and follow along because next up is the All-22 Defensive Breakdown for the Giants' loss to the Browns. Also, if you want to help us out, as always, head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review, a five-star review. Hopefully, we're 4.9 out of five stars, which is excellent. There are some haters who dropped us ones. Those people can go burn in hell. I have no remorse for saying that, and I don't like you. So if you're one of those people, go after yourself. There's, the- <laughs> there's one person that we'll make the exception for because he's redeemed himself, yes. and that's Kwame Zilla. Kwame Zilla was his 17th shout-out on the Big Blue Banter podcast. Kwame, thank you for the five-star. Thank you for the updated review. But to also those of you who have already done this, um, and this is kind of you know something you've heard already, thank you again for doing that. It makes a big difference for us. Ultimately, thank you for also following us, following along with us on Instagram at NYBigBlueBanter. You can find our content there as well. Anyway, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.